Good morning, church. Our scripture reading for today is going to be from the Gospel of John in chapter 13, starting in verse 12. It says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Todd. Good morning again, everyone. I need this. Well, you guys almost got just the ad-lib version. <laughs> Whew. That's like two and a half hours long. You dodged a bullet. All right, if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to continue our study there. I asked Todd to read that passage of Scripture because the example of Jesus is such an amazing, life-altering thing to see when we see it through the reality of Scripture, and it challenges us and pushes us to become a lot more than what society says we should be expected to do or be. And as a parent, I'm really well aware of my bad habits that rub off on my kids. I hope you guys are too. If you're not, I'll pray for you that the Lord would make you well aware of the bad habits you are teaching your children. That's a fun adventure. It's the moments when you correct your kids for doing or saying something, and then you utter those famous last words. Parents in this room are totally feeling me right now, I think. Where did you learn that? You ever? <laughs> uh, we do offer marriage counseling Tuesdays through Wednesday. <laughs> do you ever feel that cold sweat start to well up after you've said those words to your kids or to maybe one of your youth group kids if you've ever done any kind of mentoring or you've just uh, encouraged young people and you're like, where did you learn that from? And the Holy Spirit leans in and goes, They learned it from you. It's a wonderful moment. What about those times when you set a good example by the grace of God? Like you actually did something well and somebody learned from that and that's what we long to do and those are the kind of people that we long to be. But when you watch your kids go out and like without you asking, mow the lawn. And they trim and they do and you walk out and you're like, it's so green, it looks so good. Like, ah, proud dad moment. I'll never have to do it again until next week but it's just such a cool thing to see them do something like that the way that you taught them or when you decide to turn off the tv and you you go into another room and you get out a book and maybe you experience this when your your kids were younger and they, they're kind of watching what you're doing and then before you know it as you're reading they come in they sit down and they pull out a book of their own you know and they're reading like the iliad and you're sitting there reading good night moon and you realize that you have a problem. But you, you understand like there's a communication that happens there where they're, they're following the decision, follow you into you or on mission. And you watch the Lord empower and use them for his glory. And you look at that and you're like, that's such a powerful thing when your kids follow your example in a good way. Simple everyday things like these happen. When we teach, exemplify and make sacrifices that are motivated by our faith. Notice 
that it, re- it requires sacrifice. Sacrifice of our comfort, maybe something that we feel like doing in the moment to actually lead people in the right direction. We're going to have to be out of our comfort zone if we expect both ourselves and our children or those around us to grow. And if you think that it was comfortable for the disciples to learn this lesson from Jesus as he washed their feet, how comfortable do you think they were in that situation or in the situation that happened the following day as they saw him get crucified? And Jesus had told them the evening prior, I want you to do exactly what I have done for you. I want you to follow my example all the way to the death, all the way to laying your life down if that's what's necessary for one another. See, we want to raise kids that love, obey, and serve Jesus with all their hearts, but it doesn't happen overnight. We know that. I didn't have to teach my kids how to misbehave. They just did it on their own. I didn't have to learn how to misbehave. I just did it on my own. In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? You have to teach kids from a very young age that they can't do these things because they automatically were born into a world of sin. But it's that steady pressure of the moment-by-moment daily walk of faith in Jesus that will lead those around us to a sincere faith. It's that faithfulness on our part to follow the Lord, not because we said so, but because we showed them through the way that we lived our lives. And that's why the words of Jesus in John 13, as was read, are so powerful when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing. He reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're speaking rightly since that's what I am. Jesus doesn't diminish his role in their lives. He says, I am the Lord. I am your teacher. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Live this way. Church, have we left off washing feet or ministry of the like, and I'll call that ministry because it is. It is true serving, and that's what ministry means. Have we left off ministering to one another in that way for more important ministry? Things that are done more in the public eye or things that maybe seem like they have a greater impact because Jesus prioritized washing their feet that night, and so should we. We should prioritize the work of the Lord that is unseen. So Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Work out your righteousness in private. When you pray, go into a closet. He says, what you do, do for the glory of God. Let him receive the glory. Serve each other in the small ways. There is no more important ministry than feet washing. We have to come back to the heart of our motivation to do ministry, Jesus' Jesus's way and and washing the disciples feet was not just symbolic in that he's like okay I better set a really good example for these guys so I'm going to go ahead and do this Jesus was motivated by something something was driving him to serve in this way and the same thing that drove Christ to serve and to lay his life down is the same thing that should drive us and it's called love love should be driving us to lay our lives down for one another in so many ways as we walk about our daily lives, our daily lives, not the big moments, not just the big moments. We all imagine the big moment. I was a baseball player as a kid. I played from like age five all the way through high school and I loved baseball. 
And I remember I used to think about that big moment where you come up and you're down three runs and it's the bottom of the ninth and the bases are loaded. I wasn't a home run hitter, so I was just thinking bunt single. (laughs) But here's the thing. You come up and you want to come up big in that moment. But so much goes into preparing for that moment. You had to show up for practice, right? You had to have your coach who really didn't like you hit liners right at your face for hours to see if he could get one through your glove. You had to go through all the batting training and and watch the different tutorials. And like, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing you for that moment. And if we think that we're going to love sacrificially in the big moment, but we haven't been doing it practically in the day-to-day moments, yeah, we're going to strike out. We're not going to be ready for that moment. You see, Jesus taught us something so practical and so simple. And he says, you start by washing feet and you stay there. And in the moment, whatever that moment is, that comes next in that posture of serving, if it's a big moment, you're going, to, you're going to play the way you practiced. You're going to produce the way that you prepared, right? So the motivation is love, and understanding the love of God in our hearts and knowing Him in our hearts is what prepares us to do His will throughout our lives. And so with that thought process... Talking about love, John makes it clear here in our passage this morning, the driving motivation of the church. And he says this in 1 John 4, picking up in verse 11 where BJ left off last week. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. That example, we're following that example. He continues, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we, when we, and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. This is the word of the Lord. As children of God, we look to his example, and so figuratively speaking, the questions come in this way. Do we follow him into the study to read? Do we learn from him and watch and stand under his arms and learn to push that lawnmower the way that he would have us do it? Do we follow his lead into the community with a rag and water? And are we ready to wash people's feet? Are we ready to do the dirty work, the lowest servant's position in the house? Am I ready to do that joyfully? Because Jesus did it joyfully. Ultimately, we look to Jesus' example. And John says, dear friends or beloved, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. He says, we look at the example and we live it out amongst ourselves. Ultimately, how did Jesus exemplify how to be human? John told us in verses 9 through 10 prior in last week's text that we studied, that's why he refers back to what he has already said by saying in verse 11, in this way. Look at what he's referring to in the prior two verses in 1 John 4, 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And he goes further in verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to atone for our sin, meaning he had to die in our place. That's how much God loves us. The love of God consists, or if you look at that word in the Greek, actively exists, it's a verb, in his atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means that God's love is continuing to pour into us through the sacrifice of Christ. We call that process sanctification. It's a process of of being made holy, and that sanctifying work he's continuing to do in and through us, and this is the God-sourced love within us that we have to consistently pour out on each other because the source is limitless. It's a limitless source of love that God pours into you. Do you ever feel like you hit the end of your rope? No, you've never driven down I-90 at 5 p.m. You know, do you ever feel like you just hit the end of your, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I can't take that person anymore. And you look at your wife and like, I know you felt that way about me for a while, but I just, I need you to hold on, right? You guys realize that our love for each other flows from God. It flows from the limitless, fathomless well of the love of God. It never runs dry. And so when we are ministering to one another, when we are serving and caring for one another in that love, it's not sourced in something the way that we think of it as a well that may run out eventually or a reservoir that may dry up. Sourced in the powerful, powerful God. It sources in God. In the Greek, it's ex, meaning that it's, it's his all character and nature. That's something that's hard for us to grasp, but we have to work towards grasping it because we are people who know and understand what it's like to have limitations. God doesn't understand or know that in the sense that he is not limited. He knows we are, but he himself doesn't experience that limitation. God is limitless in his loving power. And we cover all this ground leading up to this, this, this text because we need to understand how powerful the love of God is. We need to understand that it does not have limitations as ours tends to, but those limitations for us lie in our flesh. He intentionally took action to offer that love to us. He continuously in Christ ministers it deeper and deeper into our hearts, but it's not just so that we are in a better place. It's not to leave you where you are. It's not to put me in a posture that's more right in God's eyes. He's doing it so that we have limitless supply of his love to give one another. It's so that it would come out of our lives and people around us would experience it. You realize that all throughout this letter, John has been calling us to interact in loving ways with each other, that we don't have a justification for mistreating one another here. As the church, as God's people, we cannot justify that. We cannot justify inappropriate anger or lashing out or or lies or slander, any of those things. All of that needs to be confessed as sin. None of that is appropriate in the house of God. If his transformative love has done all this in our lives, we must love one another. And here's why. I love it when John gives the why. Because he does this consistently. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, he says. Doesn't that seem like an odd statement to you? As I was reading, I was like, well, that's random. It's not random. 
not at all. He says, if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Without careful observation, we might feel like that's out of place, but it's not because he's drawing our attention to a fact and a well-understood fact by people living in this church community in Ephesus. He says, no one's ever seen God. Now think about this. The word seen is from the Greek word theaumai, and we get the word theater from it. When you go to a theater, what are you going there to do? Sit in a really soft chair and look at a really big screen and hopefully watch something that's semi-clean and entertaining. Good luck. You guys, we get this, the, our word theater from this word that he uses, seen. Seen God, right? No one has ever seen God. It implies a careful observing, a close scrutiny, scrutiny and examination. In other words, it's intently looking. John Stott says it really beautifully. He says, mutual Christian love is the evidence that the unseen God who was once revealed in his son is now revealed in his people when they love one another. I'll put it this way. If we love one another, we become the lens that the world sees God through. Can I say that again? If we love one another, church, we become the lens that the world sees God through. How clear is your glass? A little smudgy? Pull it off and go, whew! I know how I'm seeing through that. I wouldn't exactly give that to someone else and say, you're going to see better with these. Right? Does the world see the love of God? See his character and see his nature when they look at you, when they look at me. We are the lens that they see through. Church, we got some work to do. We've got some work to do on this. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. If I'm the lens that the world sees God through. And if the world sees God through the lens of me, how much more should you guys who know me well have a little bit better of a view? If I'm not a good way for you to see who God actually is, that should convict me. Do we pass it off as no one's perfect? Oh, I just was in a bad mood that day. I got frustrated. He cut me off. What do you expect? That finger just auto-populates. There's no excuse. You are the lens. Maybe you have a different point of view than they do. Maybe you don't agree with what they think. They should still see God through you. You should still be his lens for them to see his love, his character, his nature. John uses the word remain or remains in this section here that we're studying this morning six times. Word abide is used in other translations. He's wanting us to understand the importance of us remaining in Christ and, and how Christ remains in us. The Greek word for remain is meno. It means to abide, to stay, to reside. All those things are accurate. All those words are usable here. But as remain is used, we'll, we'll focus on remain. When you're talking about remaining, it is yet again a verb. It's a word that is actively remaining. It's moving, but it's, it's, it's staying, but it's working. 
that remaining is like me remaining in this building, but I'm doing things inside of the building, right? When I tell you guys that I remain here for the office hours, Monday through Thursday here at the church, I'm not laying on the floor. Well, sometimes I am. By the way, Richard and Elaine, you'll appreciate this. Sometimes when you remain, creepy things happen. So the only time that I've sat on the floor in my office to pray, the only time, and probably will be the last time, I was remaining in my office, sitting on the floor. This story just came up. You get this for free today. I'm sitting on the floor, and usually I'll just sit in my chair and pray, but I was like, I'm going to get on the floor. I'm going to posture myself before God. I close my eyes. Not a minute or two goes by. Boy, I'm good and quiet. I'm all alone. I'm just... And a dog licks me. Your dog. (laughs) I lost my mind. I scared your poor dog so badly. Because this is the only time I've sat on the floor in my office and just prayed quite like, Lord, this is going to be such a powerful meditating moment. I'm just going to sit in your presence. Let your spirit come down. I jumped so hard, your dog freaked and ran out of the room. I was like, what's happening? I've never seen a dog in this building before. I asked the spirit to come and he licked me. I didn't know what to do. I lost my mind. God has a sense of humor. And what's crazy is this is an aside, I know, but like sometimes we think that when we get into this place of like settling before the Lord and just being in a a worshipful posture, that everything's just going to be glory. But sometimes a dog sneaks up on you and licks you. And you get a fun story to tell people in the church. You guys... When he remains, when we're talking about remaining, it's an active thing. We're, we're, getting, we're getting things accomplished. We're working. We're doing his will. He is working in us. But there's a remaining. There's a sense of that settling in of God in our lives. The sense of a settling into him, resting in him. A lot of times I've heard people talk about getting a break. I just need to get a break. I need to get away. I'm like, you know what? That's good for you. But you should never rest away from God. You can rest away from people. Sometimes that time is important. Sometimes it's important or rest in God. And we just get ourselves in a different posture before God. But recognize away from deeper in him. You are called to rest and remain further in his presence. We never want to be away from the presence of God. It's by him and for him that we exist. And so when we think about this idea of remaining, we have to recognize it's active. It's pressing deep into who the Lord is and, and, and letting him penetrate deep within our hearts and continuing that sanctifying work how do we know that god's active in this way what's the evidence that we see how is it that god accomplishes this in our hearts verse 13 tells us this is how again john explains isn't this cool this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us he has given us of his spirit the holy spirit is the evidence of the presence of god in our lives and i think sometimes we look at ourselves we're like Is the Holy Spirit here? Is he really working? How do I know? Barclay said it amazingly. It is the work of the Spirit that in the beginning makes us seek God at all. It is the work of the Spirit that makes us aware of God's presence. And it is the work of the Spirit that gave us the certainty that we truly are at peace with God. The work of the Spirit is why we're aware of him. The work of the Spirit is that He makes us aware of the presence of God. I think we would be very, very aware, Christian, 
speaking to believers, I think we would be very, very aware if the Lord was not present working in us. We would feel a gigantic hole in our hearts and in our lives. I love the way that Harriet Auber writes in her hymn, O Blessed Redeemer, Ere He Breathed. Beautiful hymn. She writes this about the Spirit. And His that gentle voice we hear, soft as the breath of even, that checks each fault, that calms each fear, and speaks of heaven. Every virtue we possess, every victory won, and every thought of holiness are His alone. That's what the work of the Spirit does inside of us. Every victory, every thought of holiness, every word of heaven that you long for, you ever sit back after a long day and say, I just want to be in heaven, I'm so done. I'm so tired of this world. I'm so tired of sin and brokenness. That longing for heaven comes from the work of the Spirit in your life. The Spirit is reminding you there's something better ahead. Keep on in what you're doing. Continue to remain in Him and allow Him to remain in you. But never forget that heavenly perspective. The Holy Spirit so powerfully flows through a believer's heart That when we read, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, we can't help but think of what Jesus said about remaining in the gospel of John. In chapter 15, and and, and I hope that this gives us a lens to see this through, to see it a little bit clearer. He uses the same word for remain that, that John's using in 1 John. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the word describes exactly what's happening. John chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, Jesus is speaking. Remain in me and I in you. Just as, now Jesus gives us the example. He says, this is what it's like. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. How much? Good job. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. It's almost like these things fit perfectly together. If we remain in him, we love one another. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit that comes out of our lives, is that love will produce something. And all the time we look at ourselves as a church and we're like, we just want to produce fruit. We want to be fruit producers. Well, that's a good idea. And if if you understand the picture of the vine and the branches, that's a good desire. You realize that the Lord is getting that fruit production work done in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that the first thing we should produce is a replication, a picture of the love of God in our lives. That the world can look through and see through that lens and see Christ in. That love is what that should be producing. And so many times we want to talk about a whole slew of other topics. And there are plenty of topics. And there are plenty of things that we could talk about in our culture right now. And look at through the lens of scripture. But this is the scripture that God has us in. And he says this. John points us to this. He says, this is what you ought to be doing. Loving one another. If we can't figure this out, we aren't going to be able to figure anything else out. 
If we can't realize that God is, is working in our hearts in this way by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're doing things, anything else, and love isn't the motivator, if we don't have this aligned, what does Paul say about it in 1 Corinthians 13? I'll just read it to you. Sure, I'm off track, but this is worth it, I hope. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak in, in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love has to be what it's flowing from. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Sound familiar, having just read John 15? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If love isn't the motivating thing that's working in our lives, what's John saying in 1 John chapter 4? He says that the Holy Spirit is the proof that God's love is in us. And if the Holy Spirit isn't producing that love in us, we don't have him. We are a vine that's detached from the branch. We're the branches that are getting cast aside. And love is step one. It's the first thing that should be happening. And if we don't have it, all the work that we're doing is null and void. All the work that we're doing is null and void if it isn't motivated by the love that God has poured into our hearts. We need to come back to this continually because so many times we become about what we're getting done, not about what's motivating what we're doing. We know how to do work that looks good in front of people. Those who come before Jesus in that scary situation that we read about in the Gospels that say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons. We work miracles in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. What was the factor that was lacking? What was missing? I contend the motivating love of God via the Holy Spirit. I think I can make an airtight case of it in New Testament Scripture. You guys, this is the X factor of the human experience being saved by jesus this is the x factor the infilling of the holy spirit that motivates us with the love of god to love others to love others we are the vessels which he fills with his holy spirit to be poured out for his glory if we're filled with the spirit my prayer is that every person in this room has given their life to Jesus. If you have not, you are being called to this morning. Surrender to Jesus. Give your heart, give your life to Jesus. He is the only one who can save you from your sin. He is the only one who will give you access to this love of the Father via the Holy Spirit. But my prayer and my hope is that every single one of us in this room knows the presence of the Holy Spirit if we're the vessels that he is filled with his Holy Spirit that are to be poured out for him in this world, what are we able to accomplish when we're filled with the Spirit? We're filled with that love? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You guys, check this out. Check this out. This is so good. I didn't write it. It's so good. This is just right out of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I'm going to read all the way down through verse 18. Sorry, not sorry. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. Don't you love it when you get described in Scripture as being fragile? You feel fragile, don't you? You're like, no, I'm a mountain. You're a clay jar, and so am I. It's very easy to break a clay jar. 
so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. It's evident to people that we are weak, but that God is strong within us, and that's how we're doing what he's called us to do. I'll continue verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Body is this being due right now. So that the life of Jesus may also be the life of Jesus and I. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. Doesn't this sound like someone who's motivated in love for others? He says, everything I'm doing is for your benefit. So that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. I'm going to keep going. Therefore, we do not give up. I talked about this earlier. If you feel like you're ready to give up, that's not the work of the Spirit. That's your flesh. We don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Preach, Paul! If you're not encouraged by that, something's off. And I'm not saying that, that, you can't be, that, you know, that you can be saved and not encouraged, but I think we can get into a place where we're saved and we're just not hearing it. We're just struggling so much. We're so stuck in our own things that we can't see that God is working in us to bless others and that we could be poured out as these fragile clay jars pour out the Spirit on others and be emptied and He will continue to fill over and over and over again because He is fathomless and He is limitless in His power and His strength and His ability. That we are meant, we are meant and designed to be seen as weak so that he can be seen as who he is and that is eternally powerful and strong. Are you okay with people seeing how fragile you are so that they can see how mighty God is? So they can see how powerful God is. Everything that Paul says in that passage is the product of God's love in your life and in my life. Every single piece of that puzzle as he uses those incredible words to talk about affliction and all the things that we go through, every single bit of that is a product of God's love. How visible is a life like that? How seeable is a life that is absolutely open to show weakness? You can't hide people who live lives that are empowered like that, that is the light of the world. That is a city set on a hill, Matthew 5, 14. Amen? That is what it looks like to be a city that's set on a hill. So often we think that we're going to have to show some strength, right? We're going to have to demonstrate some power. We're going to have to get really loud. Do we need to be loud to be effective? There are times we can speak up. but There are times where our silence speaks the strongest message. There are times where we should speak and where we shouldn't speak. And in fact, 
James says, you know what? Every single one of you should be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And he says, and be slow to anger. Because anger doesn't bring the righteousness of God. What is the first thing you want to do when you're offended? (laughs) Retaliate. Right? I want to fire back. Some of you may be a different personality. You're like, I'm going to simmer on it for 14 years. You know what's interesting is how many times have you been walking away, driving away, leaving a conversation where somebody said something that just grilled you? And it's like 10 minutes later and you think of the response. Oh, why didn't I say that? I could have just nailed him. And God's like, that's called grace. I withheld that one from you. So many times we wish that we could go back and say it. There's a reason why that was stopped up. It wouldn't have helped. Because I probably would have said it in anger. I wouldn't have shown the love of God in that moment. I would have shown the wrath of Mike. You guys, the love of God begets in our lives this. If we love one another, we become the lens that the world sees God through. And we have seen and we testify, verse 14, that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in Him. Church, we are so aware of our weaknesses in the necessary things, aren't we? I hope we are. I hope this isn't something that we've, we've just kind of bypassed, that we don't recognize that when it comes to necessary spiritual things, that we are weak and helpless on our own. That I can't save myself. That I needed Jesus. That I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We needed to be saved from ourselves. We needed to be saved from our habits, from our vices, from our complacency and our compromise. And John declares, we have seen, we have observed, we have touched with our hands Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And he says, never forget that he is the only one that can save you. He is the only one that can save me. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God will be filled With the Holy Spirit, we know this because he says in verse 15 that for whoever confesses, God remains in him and he is in God. The remaining power of God via the Holy Spirit is the confirmation of our salvation. The confirmation that we have, in fact, believed. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well, we've embraced it heart and soul. This love that comes from God. What does it look like to love in real time? How does this change our daily lives? Not just, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think that's scriptural. How does that change who we are so that we walk out of these doors, we walk out of this building, the community outside will be affected by it? How do we get to that place? It's not exclusive but I want to draw our attention to the passage from 2 Corinthians 4. And the reason I say it's not exclusive is you could look at this from a couple different angles, but I want to look at it from this one. Our momentary light affliction, 2 Corinthians 4 says in verse 17, is produced for us as an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Perspective, church. It's perspective. If I want to affect the community outside and I want the transformative love of God to shine out of me, I cannot look at this world the way that the world does. I have to see it through the lens of eternity. I have to see it in God's economy. We're so caught up in looking at our problems, and I speak of myself here, and the problems of this world, we're doing it through the lens of the world. We're feeling doom and despair, hopelessness. We despair, we get depressed, we get angry, because we've forgotten what our future is. We're only looking at the temporary. You stare at the temporary, you will be disheartened. You look at the eternal, you will be someone who has an anchor of hope heaven that never moves that never gets shaken we need to look through the lens of god's love for this world that motivated him to send his only son to die as the atoning sacrifice and show the world a transformed body washed in the blood of jesus even though they have physically not seen god they can see him in you People should experience God's character through you and through me. They see it most evidently when we love each other. We look after each other. And so church, can I close with this? And I'll have the worship team come on up. Can I close with this? And could you just close your eyes and listen to these words with me? What does it look like in real time For us to live in this way that the world will see. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. It's about what Lord, as we can words about actually it. We just want to take a moment. We want to pause. We want to think about our hearts. We want to think about our own lives. We want to look at this, Lord, on an individual level so that we can address it as a body, as a congregation, going forward in this, this letter that John wrote to these churches in the region of Ephesus. Lord, it came to us by your hand. and We have to confront these things in our own hearts. Am I loving Am I trying to love people both in the church and outside these walls on my own strength and on my own power in my own way? God, as your, as your word says, you are love. Therefore, you are the definition of what love looks like. So everything in your word, all of the things that you spoke to us, Lord, they point us to better understanding what true love is.
And if we have misunderstood, God, would you correct us now? Jesus, you told your disciples that greater love has no person than this than to lay down their life for their friends. You didn't just say it, you did it. You lived that reality. Lord, I pray that we would practice now through the day-to-day things. Maybe we aren't being very loving to our families. Maybe we're not being very loving to our coworkers. Maybe we're not being very loving to our church staff. Lord, maybe we're not being very loving to our church family. Maybe we hate our neighbors. Maybe we're struggling on almost every front, Lord. And if there is someone here who knows you, Jesus, that is filled with your spirit, who is feeling condemnation, that is the work of the enemy. That is the work of flesh. That is not you. You are offering forgiveness. You are offering restoration. You are offering hope. And so, Lord, would you restore us to a loving posture with one another that flows from sincere hearts? And Jesus, we ask that you would, as we sing praises to you, comfort our souls and draw us closer in. Remain in us, Lord, as we seek and desire to remain in you. Teach us more about your love every moment of our lives. And Lord, bless this time as a sacred moment, as a moment where we address the lack of love in our hearts and are restored and forgiven and enriched by your Spirit.